passion, right? right? Maybe Luke. I mean, Luke, you have the Christmas. Who does not like reading the Christmas narrative? It's beautiful. Or John, John takes you back into eternity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he gets into some very beautiful um, language in that introduction. Just an awesome, that's, I love the Gospel of John. But we begin with Matthew. When somebody picks up a Bible for the very first time, what do they do? They're going to, okay, I'm going to read this book, see what it's got. They're a lost person. They skip the Old Testament. You know, they think of the God of wrath. They, they have that image of God. Uh, they figure it's too hard with all the wearing two different articles of clothing, that type of thing, two different materials put together. That's what they think. So they'll jump to the New Testament. They get to the New Testament, they open to Matthew, and what do they have staring at them? They have a genealogy. Why? I mean, did Matthew need to take a creative writing course? Because an author wants to grab the attention of the reader in that first sentence. And you think of the great um, literature in history, uh, the brilliant simplicity of Moby Dick, Call Me Ishmael, or... The clever repetition of Dickens, uh, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. One of my wife's favorites, the concise summary and irony of Pride and Prejudice. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. All of those grab the attention of the reader. Now I'm being facetious when I said Matthew needed to take a creative writing course. Of course he did not. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And he chose a genealogy for the express purpose of grabbing the attention of his primary target audience, and that was a Jewish reader. Okay, So as we look at this passage of Scripture, I want us to look at three things. Okay, I want us to see three things in what oftentimes we find people skipping over in their Bible reading or thinking it's boring or... What have you. There's three things that we're going to get out of this, Lord willing. Number one, Christ must be preeminent. Christ must have the prior priority in your life. Christ must be first in your life. We're going to look at that. Then we're going to see that Christ has a plan for your life. Right now, it's not over. As long as you have breath, I don't care how old you are, Christ has a plan for your life. And number three, we're going to see that Christ pities the sinner. Christ pities the sinner. Aren't you thankful that Christ is a friend of sinners? Amen? That no matter how dark our past, the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse us of all of our sins. Amen? We're going to look at those three things. And so let's return to that first thought of Christ must be preeminent. Um, Matthew is a very Jewish gospel. Uh, genealogies were very important to Jews. Uh, anyone claiming to be the son of David, a descendant of David, had to prove it. Okay, so why did Matthew begin with a genealogy? Because Christ is preeminent in this genealogy. You see, the, um, the Jewish Bible contains the exact same books as our Old Testament. 
but they're arranged in a different order. Ours ends with Malachi. Do you know how the Jewish Bible ends? It ends with Chronicles. Do you know how Chronicles begins? You ever try to read through the first nine chapters of Chronicles? <laughs> a little bit difficult. It's a genealogy. Okay, Ezra, the scribe uh, uh, who wrote Chronicles, had a particular audience in mind. He was writing to those who were returning to Jerusalem from Babylonian captivity. And it was a reminder because after they returned to Jerusalem, after they returned to Jerusalem, after the last book in our Old Testament, Malachi, there was 400 years of silence. Okay, so for a Jew, as they're reading the Jewish scriptures, they have a, a chronology that's telling them, that's reminding them that from the tribe of Judah, from the house of David, there is coming a king, the Messiah. So where does Matthew pick up? He picks up with that theme, with that idea of this genealogy, funneling down to the Messiah. And in Matthew, you find it ending permanently and abruptly in the person of Jesus Christ. Christ is preeminent in this genealogy. Not only is Christ preeminent in the genealogy itself, but even in the names of the genealogy. You find in the first um, verse the names of David and the name of Abraham. Christ is preeminent in these names because Abraham connects the Lord Jesus to the Hebrew racial family and all of the, all of the promises that were in, uh, involved in the blessings of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And then David connects him to the Hebrew royal family. As a political leader, he had to come from the tribe of Judah. He had to be of the house of David. And so he picks up the... Um, the prophecies and the promises from 2 Samuel 7 about the house of David. But not only is Christ preeminent in the genealogy itself, not only is Christ preeminent in the names in the genealogy, why begin with the genealogy? Because Christ is preeminent in the very first sentence of this genealogy. Look, the book of the what? Is that singular or plural? The book of the generation, singular, of Jesus Christ. Go back with me to Genesis chapter 5. Also in the Jewish Bible, the first book, of course, is Genesis. And you have the first genealogy of Scripture found in Genesis chapter 5. Notice how it begins. This would have grabbed the attention of a Jewish reader as well. This is the book of the what? Generations, singular or plural? Plural. This is the book of the generations of Adam. It records the fate of ruined humanity. It records how Adam lived X number of years and he died, but he had a son. And his son lived X number of years, but he died and he had a son. It was the book of the generations, plural, because it was continually starting over again. It was a record of death. 
Notice in Matthew, however, it's the book of the generation singular of Jesus Christ. Why? For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made of life. Just like um, the book of the generations of Adam records the fate of ruined humanity, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ records the future of redeemed humanity. In Christ there is no death. Only life. The first man, Adam, was made a living soul, but the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. In Adam, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The most important thing in this world is to get yourself out of Adam's book and get yourself into the book of Jesus Christ. Amen. How does that happen? Ye must be born again. Ye must be born again. Christ is preeminent. In this genealogy. But why am I preaching about a genealogy to you tonight? This is the first time many of you have ever seen me. Why in the world would I pick a genealogy when it's Mission Emphasis Month? Why? Is my mic still on? Do I need to stay back there? Okay, because I wander. All right. Why would I preach on a genealogy? Why? Because Christ must be preeminent. Christ, listen, beyond the pageantry, and I love these. It caught my eye as soon as I walked in the building. I love the pageantry of a missions conference or a missions month. Flags, different things to remind us about the people of the world. But what about a week from now, or a month from now, or six months from now? What is our motive in giving and going? Well, if Christ is preeminent, if Christ is first place in our life, that will remain the motive for our giving. That will keep the fire burning within us to go and preach the gospel. Amen. But in your own personal life, let me ask you a question. Just like this, dare I say, boring genealogy, right? How many of you were bored when I was reading that? How many of you were thinking, what in the world is he reading the first 17 verses of Matthew 4? If your life, let me ask you, friend, if your life was condensed down to a page like this genealogy, how much of it would give Christ the preeminence? How much of your life can you trace Jesus Christ through? We were made for worship and to exalt his name, amen? What does that even mean? What does that look like in your life? I was having a Bible study with our Italians online and we were uh, going through Revelation chapter 5 about uh, the worship of the Lamb. You know? And I asked them this question. I was like, how do you define worship? And they gave me some really good answers. And I defined worship, I explained it this way. I said, uh, imagine you have two guitar players, Okay. One of them is going to want to tune his guitar to the other guitar so that they're in harmony, right? Right. Worship is tuning our life so it's in harmony with Jesus Christ. Right? Worship is putting our life, tuning our life to where it's in harmony with Jesus Christ, to where our life plays. It exalts him. But I also said this in that illustration... I remember uh, before I proposed to my wife, I learned to play the guitar, and I wrote her a song. 
And uh, I was practicing that song. She said yes, by the way. And uh, I stopped playing guitar. And, um, but uh, I was practicing before the big night when I would propose to her. And I was practicing my guitar. And uh, while I was playing, my niece, who was two years old at the time, started turning the keys to the guitar. And so I was getting out of tune, you know. But I thought, that's life. Every day, something is turning our keys. A person, a situation, heartache, circumstances that we can't control. You know what worship is? Every day, tuning our life to be in harmony with Jesus Christ, that he might have the preeminence that we might lift him up and exalt him in our daily life beyond the walls of this church. That our life plays when we're out at work or we're at school or with our friends or our neighbors. Our life plays, it sings and exalts Jesus Christ. Our life does, why? Because we are in harmony with him. What are we going to Italy for? We want people to put Christ as the first priority. To exalt Jesus Christ up above uh, religion. We want people to know him and the power of his resurrection. Amen? And that happens through the new birth. And then living our life in such a way that we are exalting him. That Christ has the preeminence. So we see that in this genealogy, that Christ must be preeminent. But we also see that Christ has a plan for your life. Throughout this genealogy, we see how the purpose of God often goes counter to the expectations of man. Let me repeat that. The purpose of God often goes counter to the expectations of man, right? Now, if you look through this genealogy, you'll see what I mean. You know, Abraham, of all the people of the world, Abraham was chosen for the Messianic line, that through him all the, the uh, nations of the world would be blessed. He had two sons. Isaac was chosen instead of Ishmael. And then verse 2, Jacob was chosen, not the firstborn Esau, and then Judah was chosen in verse 2. Not the firstborn Reuben, who you might think, or the well-beloved Joseph. You ever think about that? Surely, it would have, if it wasn't Reuben, surely it would have been Joseph. I mean, he was the favorite. But no, God chose Judah. And a side note, when I say chose, I mean chose to be in the Messianic line. I'm not talking about chosen for salvation. That's not biblical. But we're talking about chosen to be a part of the Messianic line. David, he was the youngest of eight brothers, but he was chosen as the baby of the family. We see the divine prerogative of God in the outworking of human history. What seems like random names in a book. Behind the scenes, God was guiding and choosing. Let me say this. Christ has a plan for your life. It's not pointless what you've been through to bring you to this point in your life. The purposes of God go 
counter to the expectations of men. I have two engineering degrees. What in the world am I doing as a missionary? Right? You know the very first thing that I'm asked by an Italian? What do you do for a living? Without fail. As soon as I meet him. What do you do for a living? I start with, I was an engineer, but, do you know why? In the Italian mindset, that gives me a little bit of credibility. The fact that I have a professional degree, in their mind, it gives me a little bit of credibility that I'm not just a religious wacko. Okay? What looks like completely an arbitrary thing, I was heading this direction and God took me this direction... It was not arbitrary. Christ had a plan for your life. Sometimes you're heading a certain direction and then all of a sudden it's a 180. And you're thinking, what in the world? And then the brethren are like, God can't be in that. Read the book of Acts. Paul heading a certain direction? No, God took him another direction. Christ has a plan for your life. It's not random. Everyone in here. Christ has something specific for you. And then we see also in this genealogy, talking about Christ has a plan for your life, how God overrules in the affairs of men to bring about his purposes. How God overrules in the affairs of men to bring about his purposes. If you look in uh, verse number 11, you'll see an interesting name, Jeconias. Okay, why is that interesting? Because the royal line of Solomon had been cursed by Jeremiah. Okay? You remember the promises of David, uh, to David, that through him, uh, he would always have somebody to sit on the throne. But the royal line of Solomon was cursed by Jeremiah because of the sins of the same name is um, Jehoiachin, and we see it here, Jeconias. It's also Jeconiah, or contemptuously, Coniah. Um, and through Joseph, Jesus had the legal title to the lineage of David. Of course, Mary came through the line of Nathan, also son of David. Uh, but here we have Joseph, and legally... Legally, the Jews officially trace the descent through the Father. So how are you going to get around this curse that's on Jeconiah? There's a virgin birth. Notice in verse number 16, the begets stop. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary. There's no beget after that. Of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Now, principle. Uh, First and foremost, a virgin birth is necessary in a fundamental doctrine that Christ did not have a sin nature. Amen? But also as a consequence of the virgin birth, it overrides this curse placed on the physical descendants of Jeconiah because Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ was not a physical descendant of Jeconiah, but he still remained, uh, had the legal title to David through Joseph. So we see in this that even in the midst of what seemed like an impossible circumstance, the physical line was cursed, no one would sit on the throne, God overruled it miraculously 
in the virgin birth? What seems like an impossible circumstance in your life? I was having that conversation with my wife. It's been some months ago. And I was like, I don't know what we're going to do. I felt boxed in. And she preached to me this sermon. She said, Stetson, what's faith? She said, even though we feel boxed in, I'm expecting God to part the sea. I'm expecting God to make a way. Amen? The conversation that we was having, and uh, I'll share it with you. Uh, it's a little personal, but I don't care. We're friends, right? Uh, it, it had to do with all these rules and regulations of Italy and whether or not you had to get the jab to go back into the country. God's made a way. What seemed like an impossibility. Now, this is not a debate upon the vaccine or whatever. I don't, it, that's your personal business. But this is something that we was talking about as a family. Okay? And she said that to me, that even when you feel boxed in, God can make a way. Do you feel boxed in? You know, faith goes beyond, and praise God that you're here on a Wednesday night. Faith goes beyond those sitting in a church pew. Faith is when we go outside those doors and life hits us in the face. And we're faced with what seems like impossibilities. Lord, I don't know how I'm going to handle this. I don't know how I'm going to do it. Faith is a matter, I trust you, that you have a plan in this. That seems like a dead end, God, I trust you in this. Christ has a plan for your life. And it might be in the midst of what you see as a dead end that there is a miracle waiting to get you beyond to the other side. Christ has a plan for your life. Not only do we see that... Um, Christ must be preeminent, that Christ has a plan for your life, but we see that Christ pities the sinner. There are five women listed in this genealogy. Nobodies. Now listen, it's very, very unusual to find the names of women in a Jewish genealogy. Because the inheritance comes through the father. And women in Jewish national life were generally regarded as nothing. A Jewish man in his morning prayers habitually thanked God that he had not made him a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Now, let me pause for a minute. You want to talk about a faith that uplifts women. It's Christianity. Okay? Um, but we're just talking about the culture of that time, the Jewish culture of that time. Women were considered nobodies. Do you feel like a nobody? That nobody listens to you, that you don't have a voice? How about your sin? You feel like you can't be used because of things in your past, right? Three of these women had deeply stained characters, Tamar, Rahab, and Bathsheba. Is your past held over your head? How much do you really believe in that blood of Christ? There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose some of their guilty stains? All their guilty stains. 
What though the accuser roar of ills that I have done, I know them well, and thousands more, Jehovah findeth none. Though the restless uh, foe accuses, sins recounting like a flood, every charge my God excuses, Christ has answered with his blood. It doesn't matter what your past. There are some people that want to be used of God, but they say, I can't because of that. You don't know what I've done. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us of all our sins. Amen. Christ has a plan for you. Christ wants to be exalted in your life. And praise God, Christ wants to use you because he pities sinners. There were marginalized groups in this. Four of the women were not even Jewish. They were Gentile. Two were Canaanites, one was a Moabite, and fourth was a Hittite. Christ pities the sinner. Whether you feel like a nobody, you feel like your past is just too much baggage, you feel like you're marginalized, that you just don't fit in, Christ is a friend to sinners. Christ pities you. Christ wants to use you. Christ has a plan for you that he wants to be preeminent in your life. Lastly, and we'll close with this thought, salvation can be seen in the progression of these women's names. If you consider their story and the major theme in their lives, you see salvation, the, the story of salvation. Tamar in verse 3, her story is found in Genesis chapter 38. It's a shameful story of an angered widow whose sinful actions put both her and the patriarch Judah to open shame. She entered the messianic line because of her sin. Okay? Tamar entered the messianic line because of her sin. Rahab is the next woman in verse 5. Her story is in Joshua chapter 2. She was a harlot that entered the genealogy of the Lord through her faith. So notice the progression. You're a sinner, Tamar, but you reach out in faith, Rahab. Then in verse 5, you have Ruth. She was a virtuous woman, albeit an outcast, that entered the genealogy of our Lord through the grace of Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. Notice the progression. We come as sinners, Tamar. We hold out the hand of faith, Rahab. And the Lord, by his marvelous grace, Ruth, saves us. And then lastly, Bathsheba. She's not mentioned by name, but rather she's called her that had been the wife of Urias. She entered the genealogy of our Lord through the sin of David. David should have been punished for his sins. He should have been stoned to death. ...for adultery and killing uh, Uriah. But he had what we call the sure mercies of David. We might think of it as eternal security. Right? So think of the progression. We come as sinners, Tamar. We hold out the hand of faith, Rahab. The Lord saves us by his grace, Ruth. And gives us eternal security, Bathsheba. That's... The message that world evangelism is to proclaim. Sinners all over all these countries that these dolls represent, all of these Tamars, all of these sinners, 
everyone can hold out the hand of faith and receive the grace of God and know that they are eternally secure in Him. But they need people that want to exalt Jesus Christ in their lives, through their giving, through their going, through their prayer support, that they might be reached with that message. Amen? And that goes beyond a missions conference. It's a life that we offer up to the Lord every day that we want to tune ourselves to Him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this time. I pray, God, that you could use something, do something with this message in the hearts of all of us, Lord. And be glorified, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Rice. So we stand our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. So hymn invitation is played. If God's spoken to your heart, respond to him. Maybe you feel like you can't be used because of your past. Maybe it's something else that's holding you back. I tell you what, God's got a God's got a amazing ability forgiving our sins and using us what what an amazing God we have he's got a plan for your life is he the priority to a close. I appreciate your faithfulness being in the house of the Lord tonight. And uh, Brother Stetson, why don't you make your way back to the table and uh, he'll be back there. If you have any questions or would like to talk to him, he'll be back at his table. And I'd like to remind you as well of the VBS meeting. It will be in the teen room. And uh, and so if you want to make your way over there right now, if you get over there, uh, they can get started. So I'll, I'll dismiss you first if you want to head out that way and, uh, and get over there. Uh, that'll be wonderful. And, uh, and then we'll uh, go ahead and dismiss everyone else right after that and uh, let everyone else go. So uh, I'm glad you're here tonight. Smile at somebody. Let them know that you're glad to see them. And uh, right after the VBS, we'll be, we'll be cleaning as well. Uh, maybe we'll start some of that right now. But, uh, but we're glad you're here. We'll see you Saturday if you're going bowling.